Please be seated for our Bible reading. The first reading is taken from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you've got a pew Bible, it's on page 233 of the New Testament section. In this reading, the writer warns of the danger of drifting in our faith. Therefore, we must pay greater attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the message declared through angels was valid, and every transgression or disobedience received a just penalty, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It was declared at first through the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard him, while God added his testimony by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And the second reading is from John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. And it's on page 117. In this reading, on the night before he died, Jesus speaks to his disciples of what it means to abide in him. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray together? Lord, may my mouth speak wisdom and the words of my heart bring understanding that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher this morning to awaken our hearts, expand our minds and shape our identity 
on you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to speak on these next four Sundays on the theme of viruses. Yes, we're in church. It's not going to be a science lecture. But we may feel over these past 20 months we've learned a thing or two about viruses. And in the same way that we're having to get used to learning to live with this particular virus, we also have to be able to adapt to live with other types of virus. Viruses which are designed to attack our faith. You see, in the same way that viruses can come and go, so can viruses which attack our faith. In the same way that viruses can cause crisis moments in our life, so can viruses which attack our faith. In the same way that viruses can mutate, so can viruses which attack our faith. They can change and develop in the same way that viruses can change our lives. So can viruses which attack our faith. They can be equally life-changing. And in the same way that viruses can have long-term side effects and can even be terminal, so can viruses which attack our faith. They can be equally devastating. And so over these next four Sundays, that's why we'll look at four, if you like, of the most effective viruses out there designed to attack our belief and trust in Jesus Christ. They can be equally virulent and deadly. And in the same way we've learned over these past 20 months that we have to adopt an approach, if you like, of both being preventative and also being combatant. So the same is true when it comes to dealing with viruses that attack our faith. We have to be equally active, never passive to overcome what I think are four of the most contagious viruses out there. And so to help us, our guide will be the book of Hebrews. I don't know how much, of you, how much you know about the book of Hebrews, but it, we kind of sometimes think of it as this book that's rich in theology, that you kind of have to feel that you need a lot of the Old Testament theology to understand, but within it, there are then become these urgent appeals. They're almost very pastoral, linked to the situation that that community was going through at that time. And today, we're going to look, if you like, at the number one virus. This is what I think is the most effective virus out there at the moment, attacking any Christian's faith. I guarantee you, unless you're Jesus, if you have been a Christian for any length of time, you will have faced this virus. It's the virus of drifting. The writer to the Hebrews writes, therefore we must pay greater attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It was C.S. Lewis who wrote in Mere Christianity 70 years ago this, if you examined a hundred people who'd lost their faith in Jesus Christ, I wonder how many of them would have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. 
do not most people simply drift away? Is he right? You see, picture this scene with me. It's a late spring or summer's day, or actually it could have been yesterday afternoon, and you're standing on the slip at Le Bray, and you're looking out at the golden sand towards the sea. And then your eye line is drawn to two marker posts. They're usually flags that have been positioned there on the beach. And we know that those markers, if you like, they act as a guide. In between those markers, it means it's safe to swim. Outside of those markers, it means you could fall into difficulty. So be aware. Pay careful attention to them. It's why every now and then when we ever go swimming in the sea, we've been taught, haven't we, to look up. And see where we are in relation to those marker posts. And if we're outside, to make our way back to shore and to come back to where we were. As we probably all know, it can be very easy to drift in the sea, especially in the strong currents. And the writer to the Hebrews says, therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Or changing the metaphor, if you like. I was chatting to a a pilot friend of mine who who I know, because if ever I try to use, I'm going to use an analogy that I found helpful. I always want to go and check it out first so that I'm not misleading you. So I asked him this question. I said, tell me, are you familiar with the one in 60 rule? And he looked back at me and he said, Every pilot knows the one in 60 rule. That if you're if, that in one degree of error, if you travel 60 minutes, you'll be one mile off course. And over time, it can have devastating consequences. And he then said, said these words to me. And as he said these words, I wrote them down straight away and he said this. Every aeroplane can suffer from drift. Every aeroplane can suffer from drift. And the longer the flight, the more the drift can occur. It's why frequently and often pilots are trained to check and recheck their instruments. Even though they have this great GPS satellite system now, every frequently and often... They check and recheck their instruments. And the writer to the Hebrews says, therefore we must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. If you like what the writer to the Hebrews knew, what C.S. Lewis knew, what the story of my life says as well, is every follower of Jesus Christ can drift. Therefore we must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. What the writer to the Hebrews knew What C.L.S. Lewis knew, what the story of my life tells me is not only can every follower of Jesus Christ drift, it's also an easy thing to do. And COVID made it easier because of all the disconnectedness and fragmentation that came with it. So if you feel like that, it's not you. It's why actually coming back to church is actually really hard And often, kind of, everything seems difficult. 
You know the figure that I get see every week of what the drop-off is and church attendance on a, on a Sunday from pre-COVID to post-COVID? It's 40%. So actually, if you're doing less than that, you're, you're kind of bucking the trend. So if you're managing it week in, week out, well done and keep going. And kind of for some, kind of like all that COVID did was it just accelerated the drift of what was already occurring because that's what crises do, don't they? And for some, even it can be you this morning, maybe in this building or as you watch online, you can find yourself very easily outside of those marker posts, cast aside wondering, how did I get here? Therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. I don't know about you, but I often find it helpful when I'm, when I'm looking at a passage in the Bible, maybe, and you'll have them on your phone these days as well, is to look at other English translations and what those words, pay careful attention, would say in another English translation. It'd say, keep a firm grip. Give the most earnest heed. Listen very carefully. The tone is kind of urgent, serious, instructive and commanding of our focus, especially when sharing something that's absolutely critical to our spiritual well-being. And you can kind of hear the writer's pastoral appeal as he's saying these words to this particular community. Therefore, we must pay greater attention. Perisosteros prosekin is what it is in the Greek, pay greater attention. Perisosteris prosecking. Don't drift. It can happen to everyone. And it's so easy to do. No single person's immune from drifting. And no single person's not prone to drift. We should never be arrogant enough or naive enough to think it won't happen to us because it will. And that could be us this morning. Whether we're in here or we're watching it online sometime now or later. And you find yourself in this place that you never expected to be. You to be. And you wonder and you think, how easy is it? How easy is it to keep saying the words and not believe them in here? Therefore, we must pay greater attention. Perisosteris prosecchine. Don't drift. And that verb for drift, you can imagine it. You can just imagine just a gentle stream and you can kind of imagine just this leaf that's just floating casually down there. Very passive, undemanding, kind of like implying neglect of our faith rather than denying it. Happens slowly, but over time it becomes less important. You start caring less and in the end we just don't bother it's behavior that we fall into but never underestimate the power of the drift it's extremely strong the deception is in its subtlety barely noticeable at first hardly detectable it's this gradual slip rather than the deliberate step then before we know it we find ourselves outside those marker posts and we wonder how did I get here and we put ourselves in those positions that we never thought we'd put ourselves in emotionally physically, relationally, spiritually. And if we're not careful, there comes this time when we won't even look for the marker posts. 
and we just won't care. And that's why the writer says, therefore we must pay careful attention. It actually means we can still be going to church faithfully. We could still be going to Bible studies. We could still be even leading things and drifting at the same time because this letter wasn't written to non-Christians. This letter was written to Christians in a context very similar to our own. Although I should add that the dangers of drifting will be less effective if we're going to and participating in a church. Therefore, we must pay greater attention. Perisosterus prosekin. Don't drift. It's an easy thing to happen, isn't it? We become disappointed or disillusioned more times than we can count. Maybe we get betrayed or stabbed in the back and our hearts remain broken. We're suffering. Setback after setback and lack the strength to stand again. Maybe we've been punched in the gut so hard that we're just finding it hard to breathe. Maybe we failed in some way and we just fear it's final. Maybe we just simply run out of energy or vision or passion or motivation. Maybe we've just forgotten why we started in the first place and we've maybe just got distracted, some of us, succumbed to other attractions. What the right to you, what I know, it's kind of heartbreaking when it happens. Slowly but surely, we move away from those marker points. We wonder how we got there. We thought it would never happen to us, but I often find that the ones who think that it never will happen to are the very ones in danger. And so we stop trusting and start controlling. We stop healing and start seeping. We stop wondering and start wondering. We stop praying, start talking. We stop gathering and start isolating. We stop hungering, start gorging. We stop working and start watching. We stop pressing and stop and start coasting. We stop enduring and start yielding. Therefore, we must pay greater attention. Perisosterus prosecchi, don't drift. Instead, what the writer gives us, he says, shift. So how do we stop drifting and start shifting? Well, for me, it's about navigating back in our lives to point towards true north. What's true north in the spiritual life? It's this. It's what the writer to the Hebrews says in verse 3, to focus upon Jesus. To focus upon Jesus, who he is in particular, the wonder and greatness of of his salvation for each one of us. If you like, we're given a clue before this in verse one in chapter two, don't we? With the word therefore. See, many of us grew up, didn't we? And if you've never learned this, then kind of, here's one thing to take away this morning. Many of us grew up that we were, we were taught, weren't we? That if ever we saw the word therefore in the Bible, we would ask, what is it there for? Because the context is critical. And so what we see in chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews is the context to all that he writes. And in chapter 1, we see one of the most supreme statements of who Jesus is in the New Testament. 
It rivals, if you like, that great prologue we hear at Christmas from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It rivals the great creedal poem of Philippines 2, of how Jesus became this suffering servant, becoming obedient even to death, and death on a cross. And that then God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. It's up there to rival the poem. It's also up there to rival the great poem of Colossians 1, that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And likewise, we just have these majestic words in the opening of the book of Hebrews to describe who Jesus is, the heir of all things. The reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. In other words, what that means is this. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus who sustains everything by his powerful word. The one who defeated sin and ascended to the heavens to the right hand of God. If you like, this is Jesus God in human form, risen, perfect, sacrificial lamb. And true north is found only in your life by focusing upon who he is. And in particular, the wonder and greatness of his salvation for each one of us. Don't ever be deceived into thinking that your salvation is not the most important thing that will ever happen in your life. Don't ever become trapped into thinking that, well, you can be immune from salvation or by taken in by those today who love to talk about the fact that the only thing that they need salvation from is the very idea that they need salvation. Don't fall into the line that we kind of airbrush sin out of the dictionary that we've kind of done in children's dictionaries now or if we take it out of our vocabulary that it will miraculously disappear. As somebody said to me this past week, and some of you were in that room when she said it, we are weak and we need help. Otherwise, life will destroy us. Don't neglect how great our salvation is and what Jesus has done for us. As Tim Keller is often quoted as saying, we are more simple than we ever dared imagine, yet more loved and accepted in the love of Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. How can we dare, he says, neglect so great a salvation? Because the offer Jesus presents is the greatest one known to humanity. And if you know a better one, tell me about it. Because it remains unparalleled and the church remains the unique steward of its offer. Therefore, we must pay greater attention. Perisosterus prosecking. Don't drift. Instead, shift. And so if that's true north, what I often find helpful is this. I often find helpful is it's useful to have some marker points. And so here's three marker points to leave you with this morning that I find will help stop me from drifting. It will keep me on course both laterally and vertically. It was C.S. Lewis, you see, who said these words. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe because neither that belief nor any other belief, he said, will automatically remain alive in our minds it must be fed so here are these three marker points to keep moving us in the right direction firstly is my heart being anchored in the truths of scripture 
Is my heart being anchored in those promises of God that God says to us each morning, you are special, you are mine. The Lord who is gracious and compassionate, faithful and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy, who only has good things for us. You know, are we constantly meditating on that frequently and often upon the promises of God, not just individually, but together? Am I being anchored in the truths of God's word? Secondly, here's the second one. Am I being led Empowered in my life by the Holy Spirit. Praying frequently and often, come Holy Spirit. Come and breathe new life into my weary bones and tiring breath. Because we need you, Jesus. Because we're desperate without you. Complete humility and dependence upon him. You know, I'm each day, being grounded in the promises of God in Scripture? Am I being led and powered by the Holy Spirit? And am I being steered all the time by the compelling love of Jesus Christ? The love of the cross that says, no one has greater love than to lay down his life for his friends. And what does Jesus call each one of us? He says, you are my friends. That quite literally, if we were all perfect and I was the only one who sinned, Jesus would have come and died for me. And you reverse that for yourself. There's nothing we can do to make God love us any less and nothing we can do to make God love us any more. And if we just followed those three marker points daily, frequently and often in our lives, we'll find that our lives will still keep heading towards true north, being anchored in the promises of God, being led and powered by the Holy Spirit, being guided by and steered by the compelling love of Jesus Christ. We will, in the words of John's gospel, abide in him. This practice of faith. So don't drift. The writer says instead, Shift. Run on the fuel of God's love and not on what life may say. Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, may we never lose the wonder of our salvation of who you are and how much we mean to you may we never lose the depth of your love for us and deliver us from drifting to always find true north in you. In your name and for your glory. Amen.